Hi, Mel. Hi, Vicky. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm all right, considering, considering. Consider, yeah, well, welcome to the podcast. I've been waiting for a while to get Pl- you on. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. It's um, that's something I'm really enjoying doing. I know you mentioned you'd listened to a few of the uh, ones I've done previously. So, yeah, welcome. Yeah, I have. On board. Thank you. I think we'll start with, let's talk about your aircraft um, stuff, because you, you have a, you have a, um, a video blog, don't you? On yeah, um, um, on YouTube. YouTube, uh, aviating with Mel. Yep. Well, it's actually it's I call it aviating with Mel. It's actually just my name. So if you wanted to find, yeah, me, just search for Melanie Moxon on YouTube, and, yeah. and it will appear. Yeah, um, yeah I do. Them. I've good, good. I'm glad you've. Did you enjoy them? They're they're really good because the the thing I really, really like about them is that you're obviously live in the aircraft and recording at the same time so not only yep. are you flying the machine but you're also talking and looking in the camera whilst you're flying so for very short periods of time yeah and it's it's really good and that aircraft that you did most of the ones i've seen in with the, I, don't, I don't remember the name of the aircraft but it had that slingsby firefly yeah it had that huge kind of bubble canopy yes the some of the views were amazing an amazing uh few podcasts i saw that and you're also doing some Sorry, did I say podcast? I meant video blogs. Video blogs. Yeah. So you were also doing some um, gaming ones, weren't you? Using Microsoft Flight Simulator. Uh, yeah, I've got a combination. Uh, Microsoft Flight Sim has been recent because that's the that's the latest thing that's come out, the new Microsoft Flight Sim. But before that, I had um, X Plane Eleven, um, which I still, which I'm, I'm planning to use. Um, I've been doing live streams on YouTube through the uh, through the pandemic and putting odd videos of landing challenges and stuff up. Uh, they're moving over to Twitch, um, which All right. because I'm planning on focusing going into later on this year. I'm planning on focusing my YouTube channel more on real world flying. Okay, so Twitch is for the gaming stuff. That's going to be more for the YouTube gaming stuff. For the real yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, how did you, you know, get into flying aircraft? And you know, uh, you've got a private pilot license. Yes. How, yeah. how did you? How did you go about doing all that? How long um, have you been doing it? How long have I been? I I have had a private pilot's license since April 2016. Um, I started my training in April 2015. Uh, but in reality, flying has always been a, a big part of my life. It's Along, along with being trans, it's the one thing that I've known about in my life since I was about eight. Oh, wow. um, uh, I believe, yeah, it was, it was a, uh, we'll come on to where we both work later, but yeah. we, used to, we used to have family days on site and I'd been watching all of these airplanes thundering around and it was absolutely brilliant. And one of the last airplanes to fly that day was the Harrier. Oh, yeah. And... And seeing this jet hovering in front of me, this this cacophony of noise, and I I was like, I want that. That yeah. is what I want to do. Yeah. So, uh, at that point, I, no pun intended. That was that was shot down before I uh, left. Wear glasses, contact lenses most of the time. That put paid to that. That was that was it done. So yeah, and then I switched over to thought, well, I'll go and see if I can get flying in the in the commercial world. But 
the training costs are just too they're just they were really prohibitive and it's just never happened so i've had a general interest in aviation particularly in sort of world war, post world war ii and post world war ii um cold war era jets and and occasionally helicopters as well so did you actually have kind of intentions to be to become a commercial pilot with that yes at point? right up until covid hit i was still planning on becoming a commercial pilot but you know when the when you get the impression that the world's trying to tell you something because <laughs> um, this this is the third time in my life that the aviation industry has been slapped down hard oh, yeah. and i just I look mean, and i just get slapped quite often doesn't it it's, uh, it's one of the those... first yeah i mean the first one that i remembered was uh 9-11 yeah the, the the slump following that because yeah, I, was I was in sixth form college at that point um i was doing things like physics and chemistry get basically so i had the points needed to get onto the British Airways future pilot program because at the time it was the only one that completely covered the £85,000 right. cost That's to huge. get yeah to, to basically get you into the cockpit I believe it was a 737 at that point but they bought out BMI baby and they now operate A320s um, and I was like oh oh well that's that drink dead in the water then because they all cancelled the scholarship schemes so yeah and coming from sort of a the, the background that i come from which is a working class family from hull i uh you know none of us had the money to to put me through to put me through that kind of training um so yeah I, that's why i got an apprenticeship at the company that ba systems where we both work now yeah. um and i've and i've and I've seen the aviation industry slump again. That was with the 2008, um, was it 2008 when we had the, uh, the, the financial crash. crash, the economic crash? Yeah. It went down again then. And obviously just, just now with the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, it's been through several kind of ups and downs over the years. The, you know, the 2008, the one you mentioned, the pandemic, 9-11, you know, it goes, this seems to happen a lot. It seems to be, it seems... Yeah, it seems to be cyclical, and I, I, and the problem is, for me, I don't want to fly airliners. I no, I don't, the excitement I, is in the smaller ones, isn't it? Really? Yeah, the, the the excitement for me is flying smaller airplanes. They're they're a lot more hands on, and yeah. you're flying into more interesting interesting landing strips. You're going into grass strips. You're going into small airports. Um, you're you're single pilot. You're flying little turboprop things like PC12s yeah. and TBMs. And you're going in, and it's a, and it's, and it's just more appealing to me. But to get there, you've got to do your time in the airlines. You've got to get your hours, so that you get your the, so that you've got, basically, you've got the CV to back your abilities. Yeah. So you you self-funded your private pilot's license. Yes. Yeah. And how much? Um, roughly, how much does that cost, and how long does uh, that take? When when I when I did it. It cost me about nine thousand pounds. Oh well, that's not to a, get my to get my PPL. Change, no. Um, so yeah, that that cost about nine thousand pounds. I took a loan out, which I paid back over four years to cover the to cover the training costs, because the the ongoing costs aren't that high. But what I wanted to do is get all the training out the way and done in one year. So that everything was still fresh in my head. I wasn't taking long breaks and everything else. And it was 
you know, all, all nice and cohesive and everything else. Get all the exams out of the way, get the skills test out so I could get up to the skills test and get it done in a, in a timely manner. Which I managed. I did it over a period of a year. It would have been a bit quicker than that, but the aircraft that I was learning to fly in, the Cessna 150, when it went in for its annual, they it was the big annual where they take the fuel tanks and everything out to inspect the wing spars for corrosion. And they found some corrosion on one of the wing spars. It was like a tiny bit of surface um, corrosion. There was nothing structurally wrong with the spar. It was fine. But when they find corrosion like that, because it's because of the type of alloy it is, you get crystalline um, corrosion that goes down into the metal. So they have to either replace the spar or the wing. Um, so the a new wing was sourced from a, an aircraft that had been scrapped because they, they much like cars, they take them apart, they get all the good pieces off them, they corrosion proof them and put them away and the bad bits get junked. So I had to wait for a new wing and then we had, which made the normal two week annual last six weeks. Then we had a period of about a month's worth of bad weather where I couldn't fly at all. So it, yeah. And I was at that stage where I needed a full day of good weather to do my qualifying cross country, which for those of you that don't fly, qualifying cross country is where you fly the aircraft on your own. You haven't got a license at this point. You're flying under your instructor's license. You have to do 150 nautical miles. Um, that's about 190 statute miles. Land at two separate airfields and return to your home base. So there's no instructor with you. There's no instructor with you at all. On your own. You've already flown the route once with the instructor at your side. Right. And then you go off and do it on your own. So as well as that kind of qualifying flight, mm. do you have to have several flights with an instructor as part of your final kind of testing? Uh, yeah. What what happens is the minimum, the, the syllabus is 45 hours plus nine theory exams. And you've also got a radio telephony practical exam and obviously the final general flying skills test. Yeah. For the first 13 or so hours, you'll be with an instructor. This is if you manage to get up to solo standard with the instructor at that time. Some people take longer, some people, I mean, I pretty much nailed it on the button. I think I was, I think I was about an hour more than the syllabus. Some, so some people get there in 12 hours um, and some people take longer. It's, it's up to the person. Yeah. It's, it's entirely subjective. Obviously the longer it takes, the more it costs. Yeah. So I was about 13 and a half hours when I did my first solo. Um, we'd been circuit bashing all morning and that's flying around the airfield. I'd done about 12 takeoffs and landings that day, plus a couple of pr emergency practices. And we taxied over onto the hard standing. The instructor got on the radio, booked me out for my solo, got out of the aircraft and left me to it. So then you fly, you do a single circuit solo you taxi back, park up. Um, and then after that, you do what's called circuit consolidation. So you've got another six hours of flying where you're doing three circuits on your own. Sorry, three three with an instructor, three on your own. And you're doing different landing techniques. So you're landing with and without flaps. You're landing, um, you're side slipping, you're practicing glide approaches and all these and crosswind and everything else. So you're doing half with instructor, half on your own to consolidate the learning. And then once you've done all that, there's a bit more gen more advanced general handling to do. 
sort of recovery from unusual attitudes and things like that. And you then go off and you practice that a bit on your own and then you go off and do navigation. So what you first start to do is you, you make a three points on a map that'll take about an hour to go around. You fly in one direction with the instructor, you fly in reverse with the instructor, and then you fly in a direction of your choosing on your own. So you get that's your first time really away from the airfield, flying the air, aircraft on your own. You're just flying a triangle route and you return and land. And then after that, you do your first cross-country land away. So land away is landing at an airport that isn't the airport you uh, you took off from. So you take off. In this case, I, was, I flew Humberside to Gamston and back with the instructor. And then the following week, you did, I did it on my own. Yeah. So that, that was my first yeah. land away on my own in this little Cessna 150, which was a, it's a marvelous little airplane. It's not the most interesting thing, but when you're when you're learning to fly and you've got it all to yourself, it's it's marvelous. You know, it's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And then after that, you do we did the qualifying cross country with the instructor. So flew from Humberside to Leicester, across to Peterborough, and back to Humberside with a dog leg over over the top of RAF Coningsby. Then you put the dog leg in to make it up to the 150 nautical miles. Um, and then the aircraft went away for its annual. At that point is where they found the corrosion on the wing spar. Um, then we had a period of bad weather. So it it was, a, I think it was another four months before I actually got my qualifying cross country done. And in that time I'd done, a few, the, what the instructor did was bring a few of the other lessons forward. So you were still flying in the meantime? On a, on... I was doing little bits here and there, yeah, where the weather allowed. Because right. this is the thing with the UK, we don't have a flying season. We no. have, we have we, in the U, yeah, in, in the UK, we just fly when the weather lets us and that's yeah. that's all year round. Like, so whether fun, you're dodging yeah. thunderstorms in summer or dodging um, cloud in winter, you know, it's, yeah. so I got my qualifying cross country done. There was a few more lessons and bits and pieces on to do with that and then there's a there was a mock test to do that was quite an interesting one i was actually out with my parents and my granddad this is pre-transition um i'd and i got a phone call in the car park of curry's because my granddad needed a new tv <laughs> and i got a phone call of my instructor in the car park of curry's can you get over for, can you get over in the next hour we can do the mock test uh yeah let me just so, get rid of granddad i'll be right there well i got my well we'd already sorted everything thankfully at that point so it was a case of drive me home i jumped in my my car which was at that point a mustang and i thundered across the humber bridge and and from hull and roared down to humberside and did my uh, and did my practice my mock test which as the mock test is there to do it revealed a few deficiencies where i needed to brush up on so i had an extra hours flying training after that to brush up on things, um, booked in for my skills test and went off and did the skills test where you basically demonstrate all the skills you've learned. And I passed. So I got a pilot license. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, once, it's, you, it's, once, you've got, once you've got that license, I mean, what, what can you actually do with a, you know, a, a, a pilot's license where it's, it's just for kind of you, you, your own use. It's not commercial. It's kind of private use only. What, what can you actually do with that? What can I do with that? I can get into an aeroplane and fly around, basically. Um, but you can't, can, you can't take passengers, not paying passengers. I can't take paying passengers. I can, what, 
what you can do is what's called cost sharing. So as long as right. basically the current rules are as long as the pilot who isn't who hasn't got a commercial license is not making a profit. Yeah. You can cost share. So, I mean, generally what happens is you you'd go up with a passenger and they'd pay your petrol money. It's so the as same long as, as the giving... costs are covered, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As long as my as long as I am not charging a person all of it yeah as long as i'm not either breaking even or making a profit it's perfectly legal um, so you it, can't it, charge people as a kind of a fee no, for a pleasure flight no. and you can't take cargo no. or anything like that it's all kind of no exactly yeah, just... anything anything that's classed as um doing a job with an airplane you you're not allowed to do it yeah and does your does your license allow you to fly just in the UK, or can you also go into my, my license is what's called an International Civilian Aviation Authority accredited license, as all CAA based licenses that Civil Aviation Authority okay. in the UK licenses are. Yeah. So in theory, if I had a fast enough airplane, I could get into it and I could obviously not now because we're in we're in lockdown yeah, with the pandemic and the restricted traveling we want to do at the moment. Yeah. But yeah, I can I can go practically where I want with it. And can you fly in the US with that? Uh, yes, you can. Um, what you tend to do in the US, because you'd be flying, I wouldn't take my aeroplane over to no, the aeroplane that I couldn't fly. Kind of I, could rent, I could rent an aircraft. So what I would have to do if I was renting an aircraft in the US is generally they'll give you a, a bit of a skills test, as it were. Yeah. So you, they, they take you up and you brief you on the local procedures because there are some subtle differences. Yeah, but yeah, but you, I can I can fly airplanes in the US. So in theory, you could you could go over there for a holiday or something and rent an aircraft in the US and Canada yep. and fly around and airport to airport. Yeah, I mean, how yep. how amazing would that be? I mean, that's like be absolutely. You don't awesome. need a car or motorbike. Really, really cool. You'd get an aircraft. Uh, well, yeah, and this is the other good thing. A lot of the airfields, that, especially the bigger ones, yeah, yeah they, they have. They have um, Every kind of little town and city has a little airstrip in, in the US. Yes, yeah. it's amazing. And a, and the, and and quite a lot of them have a pool car as well. So if you if you land there, there's a there's a pool car you can borrow and go off and drive it. I think most of them are just bring it back with a full tank. <laughs> yeah, uh, so it's just like going to this, and this. this yeah, I mean this is this this again. This is only things that I've read. I I can't say any of that with any certainty but i have read of these places just having a car that you can just jump in and borrow as long as you've got a driving license obviously because yeah. it is possible to have a pilot's license without a driving license yeah of course yeah yeah because it's a completely separate thing separate thing um, so yeah i can at the moment i can fly any aircraft up to 5.7 tons in weight with a tailwheel or a nose wheel uh, with a constant speed propeller so that's basically if it if you've got a lever that affects the pitch of the propeller that's that i can operate that kind of aircraft uh, nose wheel or tail wheel and i can fly day or night because i've got a night rating as well um, um i think that's yeah that's about it the only i can't fly a twin that's a separate test um i can't fly in instrument conditions because that's a separate test um, I can't fly jets because that's a separate yeah, that's a separate test license. stroke type rating. Yeah, it's it's just an addition. It's the same yeah. as um, 
getting a trailer license yeah. on your getting a trailer add-on to your car license it's a it's just a bit of additional training so hopefully after lockdown so over and done with um you'll be out flying again i i will be yes flying again. You, i mean you, you did have a share in aircraft for a while didn't you and that was yeah, the f- and, and I think you had the a firefly. Of, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I sobbed when that sold. Yeah, I would yeah. A, um, beautiful aircraft that one you were using. I mean, yeah, it was, it was a fabulous thing. Yeah, um, yeah. So the firefly, I got a share in. I had a share in that for about three years. Did about ninety-six and a half hours or thereabouts in it. I was hoping to get a century, but I never quite made it. Um, Golf Bravo Kilo Tango Zulu, or, or Tizzy, as I called her, <laughs> being it being a pl- being a play on the Tango Zulu part of the name. Um, yeah, wonderful, wonderful aeroplane. I was really sad when the aeroplane sold. I didn't even get a goodbye flight. That's a, that's, that's it was like it. my final, my final, my final flight in it. Well, I didn't even know my the last time that I flew it would be my final flight. Yeah. So sounds... so yeah, I was a bit. Yeah, I was a bit. Yeah, that did make me feel a bit sad. That one, um, and the prob and the problem with the UK is if you live down south, there's it's it's like there's shares in aircraft all over the place because there's a massive density of airfields. This is true. Yeah. There's obviously a lot more. There's a lot. There's obviously a lot more money down south as well. Yeah. yeah. Up north, there's quite a lot. Yorkshire, for example, is a fairly big county. Um, yes. Because there's not that many airfields. Well, there's a lot of hills and mountains too. So it's. Um... Mm. Well, incidentally, the airfield I'm currently flying from is on top of a hill. <laughs> well, be careful um, with the landings, Mel. Mm. Yeah, it's okay. Um, so yeah, I had trouble finding. There just simply wasn't anything available. Yeah. Well, not that I could afford anyway. There was some. There was some. There was some aircraft that were available, but I wasn't paying ten thousand pounds for a share. Yeah, that's a lot I didn't of money. I have that. That's a lot of money. I didn't quite have that much money, and if I had, if I had that much money to spend, I'd be looking at buying my own. To be fair. Yeah. So but, you now uh, have yeah, a share. Bet, you're going to have a share in something else. Yes, um, I now have a share in a Cessna 120. Um, nine, she was built in 1948. Mm. Um, a little bit plain, simple little tailwheel aeroplane that just used for trundling around going between airstrips and generally enjoying so that's yeah. that's where i am with it now i got my tailwheel conversion done the day before new year's eve last year right and that's that's just so, uh, an, an additional add-on to your pilot's license is it uh that's just a signet that's just an instructor's signature in your logbook to say that you're safe okay. to handle a tailwheel because there's a so, lot of so when you take off in a tail, a little tailwheel aircraft, you, you basically can't see the runway, can you? Because you're pointing towards the sky. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. You can. Um, the, and some are worse than others. Um, the Cessna 120 is not that bad because it's a tandem seat. You're off to one side, so you can kind of lean over and look down the side of the nose. But if you're in something like a Piper Cub and you're solo, Piper Cubs are designed to be flown from the back seat when you're on your own. So you literally can't see in front of you when you taxi. When you're taxiing, you have to weave from side to side anyway. When you're in a tailwheel, it's just good practice. So you can actually see where you're, where see you're where going. You're um, but there's there's a lot of differences between a nose wheel and a tailwheel that that mean you need additional training. Um, 
Yeah, how the aircraft landed. There's a thing called ground and landing and yeah, on it's it's that yeah. Once it's off the ground and in the air, there's no difference. Hmm. It's that it's that final the final few feet as you're coming down onto the runway and taxiing and the takeoff roll is is where the differences are. Yeah. Um, you're getting things like gyroscopic precession as the tail as the tail comes up and the propeller changes angle because the propeller is a basically a big gyroscope you get gyroscopic precession which is trying to swing the tail yeah it tries so if the propeller's rotating one direction it will try and rotate it the opposite direction to the propeller which right. you've got to be ready to counter when the tail comes up okay so the aircraft and that will can, kind of give it a little kick as it lifts off i guess you, you, you feel it yeah you, you feel the aircraft start to move as it as it comes up now wind crosswinds can exacerbate or reduce that yeah if you go so, especially so, if you're going in the wrong direction yeah yeah if everything is going in the wrong direction it can be really it can uh, be a lot you, of fun yeah have you had any uh, hairy moments during your training or flying where things uh, kind of almost went wrong no actually i've been oh, really fortunate i haven't i haven't had anything yet um I mean, we obviously we do practice for things like engine failures and stuff like that. Yeah. That's a fairly regular thing we yeah. do. But every two years we have a what's called a biannual flight review, which we do with an instructor. Um, we go up and we fly. We do various maneuvers, sort of recovery from stalls. And a stall is where the wing basically stops generating lift and the, the aircraft decides it's going to drop out of the sky. It's not as scary as it sounds. People see it as this horrendous thing. I mean, if you're 100 feet from the ground on final approach, it will be very scary. But if you're at 3,000 feet yeah, practicing the things, it's time not scary at all. Recover, haven't you? You're high, high up now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jet, That's the thing about aircraft. aircraft that I'll, that... They're, only, they're only a problem when they hit the ground. That's the, you know, until that happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, it's like driving a car too fast, isn't it? It's only a problem if you hit something. Hmm. Exactly, yes. Or, or somebody yeah 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 so uh so yeah I've, I've not had any hairy moments i've had a, i've had i've had a few moments where it's been a it's it's been a bit oh that was a bit more sideways movement than i thought i was going to get but yeah that's that's but, about it so i mean if the engine was nothing stop, not, you you can i'm assuming you can glide those things down to the ground yeah yeah yeah, yeah they glide they just become a very once the engines stop in a, even in a helicopter if the engine stops you can glide believe it or not yeah um yeah. a fixed a fixed wing powered aircraft just becomes a very very inefficient glider um the firefly had a glide ratio of 10 to 1. this current cessna is about seven it's quite draggy in comparison um it, it's got big tundra tires on as well which don't help um, so yeah, you just glide down to the ground. Um, the biggest risk with an emergency landing, which would be an off-field landing, so off-airfield landing, um, is you don't get that last minute that you get when you're landing on a normal run, normally on a runway to go. Oh, that doesn't look quite right. Open the throttle and go around. Once you've committed, you've committed. Yeah. No second um, chance. Yeah. So if you go into a field full of potato plants, you're probably going to end up with the aircraft upside down. Yeah, yeah, you probably want to avoid Cause, that. Because it, cause it'll just wrap itself. Peas are even worse, apparently, because peas are all have got a lot of fronds and they wrap themselves around the undercarriage. Yeah, <laughs> and they tend good. to throw you on your back. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess when you're in an emergency situation, you just got to find the most, I guess, the safest landing strip. Yeah. A bit of road or whatever you can find. You haven't got much time to figure it out, but yeah. Head for the head for the flat bits. Yeah. And if you haven't got any, if you can't head for the flat bits, head for the least slurpy bit you can find. I'm sure. Hopefully that never happens. Uh, well, so do I. They should be fine. I'm, I'll, I'll be able to deal with it if it happens. Yeah. Yeah, you've had loads of experience and training. So you mentioned before that you, you're from Hull. Yes. Yeah. You and I both work for BAE Systems. Now, yes, we do. We do. And you work at the Bruff location, don't you? Yep, I do. Yeah. How, how long have you worked for BAE Systems? Is this something from kind of apprenticeship days? This is, yeah, I started when I was, when I was I, I'd been, I'd finished sixth form college and I went and got an apprenticeship. So I'd have been about 18 when I started yeah. in 2002 and I'm still there now. So, so I guess you'll like it then. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, they're, they're a great company to work for. They are a great company. To be fair. Yeah. yeah, I've had two stints. I've had this current stint, which is about 10 years old now. And my previous stint was back in, um, I think it was 87 I joined, and I left in 95, went off to the States and Canada for a few years. And then came back UK in 2010, rejoined up at Presswick BA Systems site, and then moved down to yeah. uh, where I am now at uh, Salisbury. So within our company, yes, we have an organisation called Outlink UK. Yes, we do. Which is the LGBTQ plus support group kind it's, of network. Well, it's, it's, a, it's yeah, it's a it's a it's a the, yeah. Outlink UK is the it's the it's the UK wide um, LGBTQ yeah. plus network. Yeah. And you are a rep for your site, I, aren't you? I am. I am the Bruff site business unit rep. Yes. So how did you how did you get into doing that? And you know what kind of what kind of things do you provide for the employees that are doing that? I mean, okay, I have a similar so, role at Salmsbury, but you know, just for people listening, if you could just kind of explain what you do. Yeah. So so um, I had gotten into I was a DNI champion for quite some time. Sort of, so I, I transitioned at work. We'll come into that in a bit later. I yeah, guess. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd started as a DNI champion um, before I transitioned, right? Um, and and that's not the, part the of lady the that, Outlink network, is it? That's just normal no, everyday DNI that, stuff. That's that's yeah, that's yeah. everything. Yeah, um, it, they all kind of feed into it, but that's yeah. just generally diversity and inclusion. Diversity yeah. inclusion stuff, so yes. what I so after I transitioned. Um, Jane, the, uh, the the business unit rep at the time, she was yeah. very very busy at work. Um, I'd already be, kind of been deputised by her anyway to do some stuff um, on her behalf, like attending the the monthly um, meetings and things like that. Uh, so it kind of just fell in that she just said, "I'm thinking of handing this over to you um, if it's okay with um, the steering group, etc." And I went, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Um, and so that's how I became the business unit rep, Ruff. Right. And there didn't seem to be any um, any interest from anybody else, so I ended up with I ended up with the job as the business unit rep. And what I do, um, 
I I put a monthly. We have a it's a dial-in meeting at the moment, but it's on on when I was on site, it was a everyone get into us into a room together. Yeah, we have a, a monthly meeting where people can come and talk about LGBTQ plus topics in a safe environment. Yeah. And that's not just people who are LGBTQ plus. It's it's people that have questions. So let's let's just say a member of staff has a trans kid and they yeah. want to come and ask questions. It's an environment where they can do that or if family members come out as gay or bi or whatever, they can come and they can ask questions in an environment where they're not going to get judged or anything like that. So that's 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 the kind of thing I provide there. I also organize other things um, and feed and feedback to and feedback to Outlink UK as well. So other things that I'd organize are things like Trans Day of Remembrance and yeah, all the events information that are going out. on throughout um, the year. Yeah. And we've got LGBT History Month coming up. Yes, we um, do. in a couple of days, actually. Yeah. Uh, That's February, isn't it? The whole month of February. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yep. So I'll be I'll be putting a few bits and pieces out for that as well. So I, 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 I I'm kind of an information provider, um, um, yeah. and and signposter to help and things like that. Yeah, but and you're and also still doing your DNA role as well. Yes. So yep, it's kind I still of still doing my DNA and Outlet UK combined. Yes. Yeah, and I guess that also covers, you know, some anybody who may be having some mental health issues and they need yep. uh, signposting yep. threats. Yep. Yep. Because yeah. I'm also a mental health first aider as oh, well. So. Okay. So you, you have training in that as well. well. That's great. Yes. So you're a transgender woman, as I am. I am. And yes. you you went through BA systems uh, transitioning at work. I guess we could call it a, a procedure as such. Well, it's not really a procedure. It's a, Pro it's a, okay. it's a, process. a process. It's a process, kind of guide thing. Yeah. And so did I. And it was, I found it extremely useful actually at work to have that. Hmm. I mean, it's been through iterations of change since we've both yes. used it. And it's now more it inclusive and it includes uh, non binary yeah. people. And you know, there's been a few other technical changes to make it easier to change, um, you know, gender markers and things like that within yes. employee yep. systems. So we've both kind of worked on some of those little projects to improve things with that. We have. Other things. And last week, um, we had the exciting news that our fully inclusive company has now added its name to the uh, Trans in the City pledge which is yes yes which is amazing news i was really that's happy. awesome news absolutely i mean we were we were trying to get this done for how long was it maybe two three months yeah you and i and others and i think others were trying before us as well so you know to get that finally done and yeah absolutely the opportunity to speak to you know some of the high up managers that we spoke mm. to about it yeah, I thought that was an amazing result. I think we did good, good work there. Yes, absolutely. But that's but that's part of what the whole outlink and everything's for yeah. is feeding yeah. back that information and and it's kind of progressing change and change can happen slowly and it can happen quickly. In a company the size of BAE Systems, you can't yeah, expect I mean, high speed no. there's the high speed change because it's it's such a big company. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, we we've we've kind of raised issues that we'd like to work on, and yeah, it, it can get frustrating because of the size of the company and the layers of things you have to go through. But you know, the fact that we get things through, I mean, I think that's amazing. It shows the company yeah. is really on board with it all. Yeah, I mean, if you if you if you work within the system and you play the game, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's, it's when you start it's when you start throwing rocks that there's a problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we have done that a little bit when we get frustrated, but, you know, yeah, I take your point. It's uh, if you want to get stuff through, you have to uh, kind of play the system. You have to be, you have to be nice to people. <laughs> you know, you have to, yeah. Really? You know, yeah, generally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be nice. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's it's definitely, all the work we've been doing is definitely showing its fruits, the fruits of its labor mm. now, are now coming through, which is great. So, before you transitioned at work, yes, you obviously had to go through several decades. I'm assuming of you know being stuck in the closet and not knowing how to deal yes. with that. Yes, so do, you, do you just want to talk a little bit about your transition journey from okay. whenever, whenever you kind of first realised there was something not quite right? Yeah, yeah, I could do that. So I first realised that I had that there was some. I'll call it crossed wires. Um, when I was between the ages of six to eight, somewhere around there. And I didn't have any words for what I was back then. I just assumed that everyone felt like this and I was stuck the way that I was and I carried on as best I, as best I could as a child, you know, didn't really think too much about it. Um, and I carried on going and I started, once I got into primary school and I started mixing with um other other people basically yeah more so than i would have done prior um i started realizing that actually there was this thing called a girl and why wasn't i that yeah but i didn't say anything fear of ridicule so so this kind of went on and obviously i didn't even think at that time that it was even possible to 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 transition and become a girl basically um so i i carried on and then i saw it must have been in my mid-teens those god-awful programs like jerry springer and killjoy <laughs> yeah, yeah. um with with transsexuals on them um yeah and they were of, never they were never portrayed as normal people were they were always no. brought in as objects of fun and amusement pity and everything else yeah and i just looked and i thought that's the best fit for me but i'm not that yeah i am not something to be pitied i am not i don't want to be made fun of so i kind of buried it um and i just carried on burying it burying it and burying it and i got to my early 20s um i'd had a job then for a while and i started sort of exploring my gender so i'd started going out with with a some friends who'd come out as gay. We started to go to the like the local gay clubs, and I would I was going out as this alter ego. Right. Um, I was going out. I was cross dressing basically. Yeah. I wasn't and going this out. Was, this was just to local clubs in Hull area. Yeah, yeah. And we we did go to Manchester, so we did we did explore Canal Street. Yeah. Um, and and I got to the point where I was. I was thinking, you know what? 
I've got to do this. Because at that point, there'd been a few more people that had come out and been, and it was positive. And it was like, actually, no, I'm not a freak. Even though some people probably seem to think I still am, but you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but um, I was still living at home at that point with my parents. So I was about 23 at the time. So what what decade? And what are we talking? About? You're you're in your mid thirties now. So this, L, this is in the noughties. Noughties, okay. Yeah. The, or the arts, or whatever you want to call them. So yeah. So yes, yeah, so I will have been. It will have been late. I want to say about two thousand and eight. Right. Right. Somewhere around there. So not quite as a horrendous as it would have been back in the seventies and eighties, but still. Oh great. yeah, absolutely, yeah, but still not not hugely great. I mean, obviously the Gender Recognition Act had come in at that yeah, point. Yeah, so there were at least um, some protections around that time. Yeah. So there was some protections, um, and we had the Equality Act. In yeah. Two thousand ten. Yeah. Which just kind of solidified well, I mean, a load of rules of, that had been in place for decades before. Yeah, kind of condensed all other previous laws into one. Yeah. But I was still living at home at that point because I was, I was desperate not to transition. So I was, I was trying to focus on, no, I'm a cross dresser and that's it. And so did you? I mean, did you kind of resist it and try and deny it? Yes. And say this yes. is not happening to me. This is not me. Did you go through that yes. stage? Yes. Yeah. This is not me. Yeah, I went through that and I carried on doing that. I had, and I thought, well, my parents aren't going to support me. That was my that was my thought because of reactions they'd had happened? before. Not you told your parents. Well, well I th I I thought I thought I would have been thrown out on my ear. Yeah. There and then. Um, so there's so, there huge pressures not to kind of step out of line. Yeah, and and they were and they, and yeah, and they were pressures that I put on myself. And the and what sucked because I thought if I stay at home, I won't transition. So what I did is I ended up spending all my money on fast cars. Right. Um, I bought, I took out a massive loan and bought a brand new Focus ST2, bright orange, great fun. Um, basically about the price of a mortgage a month yeah. in terms of loan repayment that was. So was this a distraction? A hell of a lot more expensive now. This was a distraction. This was, yeah. yeah. So this is my, this, this was my distraction. So I had that car for about two and a half years and then i bought a mustang another distraction <laughs> a bigger, another faster distraction. <laughs> yeah, big, a bigger faster noisier thirstier actually it wasn't that much thirstier distraction yeah um and i carried on i was driving the mustang i was buying modifications for it i was making it faster and better and everything else and through owning an american car you kind of you, you you fall in with like the local hot rod crowd and the local American car crowd and they were a bunch of great people and a couple of them have now become very close friends hi Chris hi Becky um, and they got me into drag racing and I'm not talking about um, like the RuPaul style drag racing I'm talking about <laughs> flame spitting I'm talking about flame spitting V8s yeah um, sort of 10,000 horsepower cars and things like that at the top end of this and I just thought I want to do that. And incidentally, there was a class called Sportsman ET at Santa Pod and up at York Raceway called American Superstock. They also had oh, a Sportsman man. ET class. So I bought a helmet, I bought a fire suit and I started racing. 
Oh, we actually went racing. I didn't know. I actually went racing. Yeah, I got, I got, yeah, I got a race license and I actually went racing. All right. And what were you uh, racing? You were racing your own car? Or? I was racing my own car. Yeah. Just racing a street car. Hoping like hell you didn't crash it. <laughs> yeah. Cause there was no insurance on the track. <laughs> no, I'm sure. And it's an expensive car. Yeah. I didn't want to write that off, but no. in, in all fairness, unless I hit anything on the track that was, it was greasy or something like that, the chances of the chances of having an accident were much lower than, than they are driving the car fast on the public roads because you've got this nice clean track in front of you. Um, yeah, as long as you don't do anything silly, you'd be okay, I guess. Yeah, so I, so I raced, I raced, comp, I did, I started off with Run What You Brung, and then I, which is just basically like a track day, but on a drag strip, that's just called it Run What You Brung. Yeah. And after about a year of doing that, I start, I got a race license and I started racing proper. Um, so I did a couple of seasons in American Superstock at York. Um, had a few round wins, didn't get a championship win. Um, then I, then I went to Santa pod and started racing there, sort of national level, um, again, same car spot racing in sportsman ET at Santa pod. Um, and it got to about 2015 and all of this stuff that I was basically doing that I, I, I mean, I love doing it. I didn't pick any of this stuff because it was seen as manly or macho or anything like that. And trying to suppress that femininity. I did it because I wanted to do it. Um, but none of it was working. And as much as I was loving it and it was really, really, really cool, it just wasn't working. So this, the, the whole, the, the gender monster was still there, sort of tapping me on the shoulder going, yeah, I'm, so sti I'm, I'm still here. In the, yeah. in, the, in the closet, there's that little yeah. monster still, yeah. still yeah. sitting in there. Yeah, it's still, still tormenting you. It, it's still tapping you on the shoulder. I'm still here. So, still hi, here. I'm over here. Uh, hi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I thought, well, there's only one thing left that I need to do yeah. to try and stave this off. And that's to get a pilot's license because it's the one thing that I've always, always wanted to have is, is the ability to fly an airplane. So I went and did that. And again, the distraction worked for a while. Yeah. The distraction worked. Yeah. I, I stopped racing because the money I was putting into racing. How you were spending I, money on flying. I was, I put, yeah, I put into flying. Um, I bought a share in the Firefly, which I've already mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Um, and from there, I realized that, well, I'm going to have to do something about this gender monster. Uh, there's, there's two ways of dealing with it, and one of them is decidedly unpleasant, and the other is transitioning. Uh, yes. So I just, so while, whilst I, so rather than even think about taking a turn down a dark path, I thought I'm going to transition. Yeah. So I started doing all my research and stuff. The, the Mustang went up for sale because I needed, I decided that I wanted my own space to transition in. So I was going to buy a house. The Mustang went up for sale to fund a deposit because yeah. I wanted, I wanted to carry on flying because I really like flying. So I sold the Mustang. I bought a mini, a 2007 mini, which they're great fun, by the way. Um, I got a house uh, and then I put, and I'd started at, and that would have been towards the end of two, 2008. Yeah, that would have been towards the end of 2008. So in, 
So if we rewind a bit back to 2007, that's where I'd kind of decided that I was going to make the, the transition. Right. Um, so at that point, I started building up a, a wardrobe very steadily because clothes are expensive. If yeah. you want to buy stuff that lasts, you can go and fast fashion in the last 10 minutes or you can buy stuff that lasts. Yeah. Um, so I started building up a wardrobe. I was, I had quite short hair at that time. I used to have a crew cut. So um, I... I bought a, a decent. I went and bought a decent wig um, because I intended to obviously start going out as as me, as the real me. But yeah, so you I were still kind hair. of you were still in the closet at this time, even though you yes. were in your own place, buying clothes, wigs, yep. and things. Yeah, you still hadn't really come out to family, friends at that point. No. Still Fri friend. Friends, I friends mm -hmm. I had actually. Because the friends I'd, you I'd, were going out with, but maybe not. Yeah. Not 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 my entire friendship circle, but those those closest to me at yeah. that point knew about it. Right. Um, I even had my friend Stu apologise for me for making me his best man at his wedding. He's like, "Oh my god, if I'd have known you were going to transition, I would never have asked you." And I'm like, "It's fine." It's best fine. woman. Just, best woman. Yeah, best woman. So, uh, so yeah, so I then I was started growing my hair out. I started on a. A massive weight loss program. I lost about 20, 24 kilos. Oh wow, that's a lot. That's that's yeah. Oh, I had the chunk going on. Because you're so skinny oh, yeah. now. I, well, I, I, I've I've got a bit of um, pandemic podge that I need to get rid of. That's appeared. Yeah. I want to get rid of that. Okay. But I think most people have, so that's nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, um, I think that's all being you know down to being locked in the house and having yes. the fridge in the kitchen. You know, it's kind of dangerous situation. <laughs> and beer. Yeah. So, beer, so anyway, wine, yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah. So anyway, half. So I'd gotten to April in two thousand and eighteen, and that's when I contacted Jane at work, who was the yeah um, the business unit rep for Outlink at that point, and said, "Look, I want to transition at work." Because I knew the ball would have to start rolling fairly early because security clearances and all that kind of jazz. Mm -hmm. um, I moved out of my parents' house later that year, well, in October. Um, I'd had my first few because up until that point, I'd only ever been out to clubs and stuff on a night. Yeah. As as in and in the past, as as, as the real me. Um, so I then started going out during the day and things like that, meeting up with friends and and whatnot. Um, I found a, a local trans support group, which I still which I still go to, um, mainly for the technical support, more than the emotional support, um, just to get the lay of the land of how it all works. Yeah. Um, although to be, I'd, I'd done vast amounts of research anyway, and pushing on towards the end of 2018 my birthday in november so obviously people start buying christmas presents around the end of the year so i just thought i'm going to have to come out for my family before the end of the year because the last thing i want them to do is do something like buy me a really nice jacket that i'm then going to take to a charity shop six yeah. months later so basically I, I mean you start you did your transition because you didn't want socks for christmas that's basically what you're saying there. yeah that that's 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 why I came out to them when I did. Um, so I started putting together a, a coming out package, um, which was a USB pen with um, links to videos and in, and things like that. On I'd found some great videos on 
on YouTube by uh, Fox, Fox Fisher and Owl. Yeah. They yeah, um, those are amazing. The, yeah. the My Generation videos. Yeah, they so have I, a book I, as well. I, I, similar thing. Yeah. Yes, they do. And I cherry picked a bunch of videos and links to articles and bits and pieces. And the, this was obviously going to be shown to my grandparents as well at the time. So I, I cherry picked videos that they'd be like, oh, oh, that's OK. So in, um, so you, you'll know of Isla Holdham and mm -hmm. other military people that have come out. So I, I focused on, on those and a couple of links to articles and things so it sounds like you're doing the full multimedia presentation now. oh almost i left the usb pen drive with my parents after coming out so yeah there was there was links to stuff like articles about um the raf pilot caroline page isla holden katherine right. burton she's um transitioned as a she was a ba airline pilot and a, the us based pilot jessica taylor as well also trans yeah. Yeah. so i went through in with plenty of links to articles and information on how to's links mm -hmm. to start because this had just a it, it was essentially just a html file with links in so that they could click on and yeah. nice and easy so they could yeah understand um and so and i was really surprised at how well it went i mean it took them a bit of a while to get their heads around it um i expected them to take to take a little bit of time to get their heads around it um did you tell like your mum and dad at the same time and yes. do you have brothers and sisters i do have a younger brother uh, i told my mum and dad first um and then my brother about a month later um he was it, it took him again a while to come around to it but yeah. he has done he's great now um, so you're getting full support from your family yes yeah. um and then obviously that went out to grandparents and wider and sort of aunties and uncles and, and wider family i've had no problems at all with family which Brilliant. has been fabulous yeah. the only the only concern my grandma had bless her was um well there are not there you are aware that there are nasty people around that might want to hurt you for doing this and i went yes unfortunately that's the we case are. but we are aware we are very sadly aware of things like that so but but yeah supportive well, um, I mean, it's great that you've got full support from all your family. That's that's great, fantastic. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was good. Um, ex I lost a few extended Facebook friends, and I use the term yeah. friends yeah. in inverted commas because I mean, I'd never actually met these people. They were just people that were friends through like the Mustang Owners Club and and stuff like that. So, so they weren't actually people I met, nor cared greatly for their opinion. Yeah, so they weren't friend friends. They were just kind of yeah. associations. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there, at that point, then it was just a case of, of sit and wait. I, I wasn't out at work at that point, apart from to, to Jane and the local management and HR. Right. So you're in the kind of planning stages of yes. transitioning at work and all the stuff that's involved yep. with that. Yep. Um, so that, so when my, my coming out of work, Jane actually read out my letter because I, I'd liked it. <laughs> I'd like right. I'm taking the afternoon off. Tara. Yeah. Um, see you later. See ya. No, we'd already we'd already agreed long before that that I wasn't going to be on site when yeah um when that was read out simply so I didn't have to deal with the stress of fielding questions on yeah. the day the letter was read out. Right. So so yeah. So that that day arrived. I left. I'd already put my paperwork in at the start of that week to change my name. Yeah. 
because we know how long these things take. They do take a while. They do yes. take a while. Um, and I disappeared off for three weeks. And it was 2019 was great for that because Easter weekend and May Day Bank Holiday were in a position where I could have about three weeks off for the price of two weeks holidays. Yeah, perfect timing. So great timing. So I disappeared off. Um, I got my ears pierced on the way home from work. Yeah, uh, you rebel. You had a couple of gold studs put in, um, and I went around to my parents. Um, so you know, I went shopping first, did the grocery shop, so I didn't have to do that on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> all, all these things you have to do, and then I went I to know. see my and I went to see my parents, and it was like, well, the next time you see me, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and then that, and then that was it. That was I started packing. I packed away. I, I washed all my work stuff, which had been shirts and trousers and all that kind of stuff. I packed all that away into a suitcase, which I was just going to take it, which I took into town and dumped at a charity shop the following week. Um, and then the next day I went into uh, local hairdressers where a friend worked and she did my hair. She put extensions in. And that was that was the first part of the physical transformation process is getting that, that hairstyling done. And that was me, and that was it. From there on, there was there was no more dead name me. There was just the real me. There was a definite kind of day that you decided this is it. Um, yes, where it all changes. Yeah. It was it was a snap break. There was no. It was just a. Yeah. Um, and after that, it was the the parade of paperwork. and a couple of weeks later because I took the private route but we'll come on to this in a minute um, so I could get all the rest of the paperwork so I could change my passport driver um, gender marker and all that kind of stuff yeah so yeah so that and and then I returned to work after three weeks pretty much everything was normal I just parked the car in the car park walked back into the office sat at my desk and logged in and carried on from where I'd left off three weeks ago. And the yeah, the reception at work on your first day, I'm assuming was perfectly okay. Yeah, no yeah, no no problems at all. No problems at all. Perfect. Yeah. So so And what about what about kind of your medical um transition history? A lot of people in our position, they go to the GP the GP doesn't really have any idea what you're talking about. You get your referral to the GIC, which is the gender yeah. identity clinic nearest to you or whichever one you choose. And then you're into this kind of long waiting game oh, where you yeah, wait for the, the first game. appointment and all that stuff. And, you know, it takes years just to get your first appointment, maybe two yep. or three at the moment of the queue lengths. And then you've yeah. got to wait another year for your second appointment. Oh, you know, and this is yeah. before you even get to get, you know, a, a prescription for hormone treatment. Yes. Unless you're in the fortunate position to be able to go private at the same time as doing all this. So you can at least yep. start your hormone treatment early while you're still waiting for the gender identity yes. clinics to call you up. So, and what was your experience of, you know, GP, GIC? So, so GPs, um, I went to the GPs that I'd been at since I was a baby. 
Um, I'd, I've not moved from that area. We'd, we'd moved house, but we were still in a geographical area for that GP, so we never moved GP. Right, so childhood GP. Yep. From I, went, yeah. I went there. The, the doctor who I used to see had long since retired because um, he was knocking on a bit when I was right, in my late right. teens. Um, and I went in, saw the doctor. The doctor was like, yeah, okay, I'll refer you to... GIC, which in this case is Leeds, it's the closest one to me. Right. Or it's certainly the one they refer to. Leeds and Sheffield, they're about, about they're the same distance, close, actually. Yeah. And Nottingham's not too far away either. Um, and I said, well, what about shared care? And he said, nope. No Sorry. reason. Um, practice level decision. Right. Not, no, he said, it's not my decision, it's practice level decision. Um, he did. He did actually say you've waited this long. You can wait a bit longer, which kind of. So practice made... level decision clause five subsection yeah. six whatever. Yeah. Paragraph D. Yeah. yeah. Sentence four. Awesome. Word six. Yeah. yeah. So so at that point, I I immediately as soon as I got home, I phoned the practice management for the group, and that went into a bit of a. Oh, well, we'll talk to, and it went on and on for a few weeks. And the the lady that I was speaking to was trying her best, but she said, there's nothing I can do, I'm afraid. So via the local trans support group, I found a GP that would do shared care. Um, So I moved there. So you moved um, moved surgeries? Yep, moved GP surgeries. Uh, Again, no problem with that no problem with name changes or anything when I transitioned because this I moved GP surgeries just before transition, just before my social transition. Um, in terms of my medical transition, um, I'd started the year previous on laser hair removal. Right. So I'd already had about six sessions by that point. Self-funded? Self-funded, yes. Yeah, yep, nothing from the NHS. Um, Not the only time. painful on the wallet, but also painful on the painful face. Painful on the face, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I then, knowing that I had the backing for a shared care agreement, I got in touch with the London Transgender Clinic. And that's, if anyone who's listening saw the, the programme Transformation Street from a few years ago, that's the one that was featured. Now, this is a private clinic, isn't this it? Is a, Where you this have is the, yes. Yes. Well, you have to pay out of your own pocket unless you have health insurance which covers you right um so but the, and then they said well you've got to get a psychologist sign off before we'll give you hormones and i'm like okay yep. so they give me the information for, uh, dr penny lennyhan's information so mm-hmm. i went and saw dr lennyhan in london yeah um she was happy she said um the transgender, the London Transgender Clinic's ten minute, fifteen minute walk away from my office. Go and make an appointment, and in, within a week or so, they will have a, a copy of my report. Yeah. So I did that. Um, I went back three months later, uh, and I walked out with a hormone prescription, and a shared care agreement. Yeah. So. Perfect. I now have six monthly appointments to check my hormone levels and how I'm doing, etc. Yeah. Um, they cost 100 quid each. The previous two had cost me 600 quid plus travel. Yeah. Um, together. So 300 a piece. Um, thankfully, prescriptions come through 
from my GP. So with the prepaid, it's like ten pound a month, hundred and yeah, pound a year, whatever. Payment plan. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've I've got that. So thankfully, that's saving me an absolute packet because private prescriptions are fifty pound a month plus the cost of the medicine. Yeah, not cheap. So so it would work out probably nearly ninety quid a month for me. So your um, your private clinic gave kind of the instructions to your GP. Yes. Via a shared care agreement. Agreed. Yeah. So like an eight page document, which goes yeah, through so you, everything. You can get your prescriptions on the NHS and you're still under the care of yes. gender Tessa, care, the private yes. clinic in the meantime. Well, well, London Transgender Clinic, not gender care. Different place. Sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so and they, the GP also does my blood tests as well. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So everything's so, settled down now, I guess. So that's yeah. all settled down. Um, apart from the pandemic, meaning the clinics are all closed, so I can't yeah. carry on with my facial hair removal, which is really, yeah, really same, biting. Same problem with that. But it is so what it is. You, you probably got to the stage where you're doing electrolysis now, yes. rather yep. than laser. And yeah, I mean, it's mine has, mine's been on and off throughout um, lockdown. You know, it's been yep. open and closed several times. Yep. I mean, which is fine. I mean, it, it's 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 a very long process to get rid of all unwanted facial hair anyway. It is. It and, is. Yeah. So we'll just continue when we can, I think. That's but as far as my experience with the GICs, um, can't tell you because I've not seen one. Um, I've now been on the waiting list for two years. I've still got another 17 months to go for my first appointment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, meanwhile, you've been through all this private clinic yep. process and got everything yep. done, which... And you've not even got to the front door of the NHS yeah. GIC yet. Yeah. yeah, very common story. So I, I then went through the process of getting signed off for surgery as well. Yeah. So I'm now signed off for surgery. So I've I've done in the space of two years privately because I've been in the privileged position where I can just chuck money at it. Yeah. Um, to do what would take you on the NHS between six and eight years. Yeah, so, and you've, you've kind of recently made the decision to go private with your surgery yes, as well i have yes and you know i know it's very expensive yes you know just, we're, just, we're just, talking just about sad. i don't know 30 grand i think is yeah the... if, if you if you include um things like the removal of genital hair yeah because you have to have electrolysis removal of genital hair by the time you've added all that on to it um yeah yeah i would say it's going to be around 30 grand so you're looking at probably where are we now we're in January. You're probably looking yep. towards the end of this year, I would think. Before September. You could, yeah. yeah, I'm looking towards September. Right. And had you stayed with the NHS, that would be what? It's going to be at least another eight years. Yeah. Bit of a no-brainer, really. Yeah. I would say a minimum of seven years from now, but probably more like eight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know some people don't like the idea of, you know, going private because... I don't know, it kind of, it's kind of a privileged position to be able to, and not everybody can afford to. You know, some people have to stay with the NHS and are looking at those horrendous long yeah. um, periods. But, yeah. you know, I don't think people who are going to pay for themselves should feel guilty or anything because... Absolutely not. You know, they, you're not responsible for the NHS's lack of speed and doing this you know the nhs should be doing it just as fast or quicker than the private clinics you know it shouldn't be we shouldn't be having to choose this um private option because we don't want to wait eight years you know you should be doing it because 
you know, you want to go private for whatever other reasons. And it, you know, the NHS really needs to step up and, and make, you know, get its times down to a more reasonable level. I mean, it's yeah, totally absolutely. beyond oh, it's ab- comprehension it's ab- at the moment. It's, ab- it's abhorrent. I mean, I would it go is. so far as to say it's a dereliction of duty. Well, it is. You're supposed to be seen within, I think, I believe it's 18 weeks for your first appointment. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and none of them meet that target. It's, yeah, it's terrible. It but is. we won't we won't talk about politics because no, we'll, um, we'll try and avoid politics. Try and avoid politics because because I'll get ranty and I don't want to get <laughs> ranty. Too. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, so so I'm I'm signed off for surgery now. Um, and how do you, how do you feel about that? Are you are you are you nervous at the thought no, of doing um, it? Slightly nervous, um, but excited. So yeah, yeah. So I'm, it's just it, a bit of a waiting game now before you get to go. I, and, and, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to feeling complete finally, but I'm not looking forward to the recovery period. <laughs> yeah, it's um, good two three months, I would think. It says well, yeah. That Mr. Inglefield says it's three months, three yeah. months re- recovery period. Yeah, and I'm hoping there's no kind of reasons to have things adjusted or revisions, well, I, as they call them. I, I hope not. Um, Mr. Inglefield tends to be the one that people get sent to if there is if someone else has botched it, apparently. Yeah, right. So, okay. So he sounds like the one to go to. So he's 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 very very good. He's he's a lovely chap as well. Really really nice guy. Um, he went through every, well. All their staff are great, to be honest. I don't. I've I've never. I haven't met anyone that works for the London Transgender Clinic that I would describe as being anything other than utterly utterly lovely. Now, London Transgender Clinic has its offices where you go for your appointments in London, but the yes, that's... actual hospital is a private hospital. At, I believe it's at Hatfield. Hatfield. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The one, the one Hatfield hospital is where they do all the major surgeries. Um, there are, they have, there's some central London hospitals that are near Harley street area where they do sort of day sort of inpatient, sorry, outpatient stuff. Yeah and minor surgeries and things like that um but all the major stuff is done as far as i'm aware at the one hatfield yeah so i mean yeah exciting times coming your way very soon yeah yeah um the only thing i'm not looking forward to is taking time out of the cockpit but needs well must. yeah needs must. Med- you, you've got to be medically fit to fly these things so yeah yeah and the other thing you, you probably haven't done yet is a gender recognition certificate. Not yet. I mean, you're probably still kind of not quite ready for that time-wise. I've got, I've got four, four and a half months or thereabouts before I'm eligible. Yeah, so you're probably at the same stage as me, trying to put all the paperwork together and understand the process and find all your documents and stuff. That's what I, I'm doing. One, one thing I... Building one thing the file. I, yeah, one thing I was fastidious about when I started transitioning was keeping a file of all the paperwork yeah i've done that but i need to organize it i need to get it all sorted and understand what exactly i'm doing with this grc process i mean i've got a folder with nearly 80 megabytes of pdfs yeah i have similar similar folders phone bills um everything Bank statements, credit card statements, emails, um, letters, emails, letters. Okay. yeah, I've got yeah. the same stuff. Yeah, got it on. 
so that when when time when the time comes to apply for it, I can just print out the ones that I need because at the moment it's still a um, a paper based thing. They haven't, yeah. as far as I'm aware, done the online one yet. I can just no, print they've out, not changed it. Yet. I can print out what I need. I can send it off. And one thing I'm going to enjoy doing once I've gotten got the gender recognition certificate mm -hmm. is burning that file. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't I, need it after that point. I'm going to stick it in a bucket in the back garden and I'm going to set fire to it. Yeah. And, you know, just for anybody who's listening, who's not. <laughs> yeah, anybody who's listening, who's not really fully conversant with all this stuff, the gender recognition certificate is something that which takes at least two years before you can even apply for it. You have to be two years in role, as they call it. And there's medical reports two medical reports required, uh, big fees to pay. And I think you have to do a, um, a declaration with a lawyer as well. I can't remember what they call those things. Yeah, uh, statutory, de statutory declaration. declaration, yeah. I mean, the cost of getting the reports and that declaration done, you know, adds to the £140 fee to get your yep. gender certificate, certificate, which, yep. I mean, they say they're going to reduce the fee and simplify the process to make it all online but that's not happened yet even though it was announced about four months ago so you know it, you know really when you look at the, the 140 pound fee is insignificant when it comes to all the other fees you've got to pay to get that you're probably looking at a good 500 pounds i would think yeah yeah i would say that get yeah. your recognition certificate sorted so it's not a cheap thing this is why you know there's been so much discussion around how the process needs to be simplified for transgender people to get legal recognition of the gender you know we shouldn't have to go through all this ridiculous process you know it's um hopefully one day yeah one day unfortunately i think we'll probably have both yeah sent i don't think we'll yes we'll have got too impatient to wait for that day so we'll Absolutely. be spending the money yeah. i just want i just want it done i want it over yeah, with i want it finished yeah indeed yeah so so have you have you have you got any plans to attend any pride events coming up in this this year maybe or if, next there year? Are, if there are any probably next year um the problem with whole pride is it's it, when i didn't go to, to pride at all before i came out right. apart from one year where i went on the saturday this is pre-transition i didn't take part in the parade i just went into the park and yeah. hung around with friends basically yeah. um, the problem with the whole pride is it's always clashed it's clashes with the hangar bash at the oh. flying club. Oh, right. Yeah. That's not and it's like, and Which am I going to? I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm 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 gonna go and spend a day around oily, smelly vintage aeroplanes and enjoying <laughs> the ambience and and taking friends for flights and things like that. That's that that's because that's what I enjoy doing. Yeah. Have you have you been to a trans pride event? I mean I, I haven't. I, I haven't. I'm, I would like to go to Brighton's again this year, but I'm not sure if it's going to be on yet. Um, that, that was a great one in 2019 that I went to. I also went to one in Bristol the same year. Uh, those, I mean, the great events. It's the, you meet lots of people that you would that you've only known online before. So yeah, yeah I mean, they they are on my list of things to do. Shall we say? Yeah, I mean, you know, everything goes to plan. We should probably plan to go down to the Absolutely. Brighton Pride one next time it's on. I'm trying to think if there's an airport near there. I'm going to fly down. Yeah, Brighton, I'm sure Brighton has an airport. Uh, I think it does. 
I'm not sure. No, it's got one, if it's got one nearby. If it's one within taxi distance. Yeah. Oh, so you're suggesting that we're going to fly down? No. Well, well I'm <laughs> going to fly down. I don't okay. Know. I'll pay you to be your passenger. We'll share the, we'll share the fuel costs. <laughs> yeah, do that. Do that, definitely. Yeah, it'd be better than going on the train. Uh, I think yeah. there is an airfield nearby. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure there is. It won't be far away. Yeah. Ah, there is. Yes. Are you are you, are you googling as we? I speak? have. Go I have. It's called Shoreham <laughs> Airport. I should have remembered that one. Really. Yeah. Yeah. It's just down the road from Brighton. That's a shame. It's quite expensive to fly in there. Let's see if I can find a grass strip nearby. <laughs> the landing fees and stuff and overnight parking is quite expensive. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, fair enough. It's a it's an airport with a full time fire service and everything. The the people who who are in that that environment have to be paid, so the money has to come from somewhere. Yeah, but being charged like thirty quid just to land an aeroplane is yeah. Well, I mean, it's cheaper than train, cheaper than driving, I guess. But <laughs> not so much in my car. It's not. I can get sixty miles to the gallon out of it. <laughs> Definitely cheaper than. Definitely cheaper than the train. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, that's just my my silly musings. That it would have to it would have to be guaranteed good weather all weekend because I can't fly in instrument conditions. Yeah. To fly there and back. Well, you know, let's hope we can get down there any old house. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah. And do that. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, well, so we... I mean, we've 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 spent a good hour and a half chatting there, Mel. So. Oh, have we? Yeah, My I know. God, we time, have. time flies by doing these podcasts, I tell you. It does. So I have one final question for you, and I think you know what it's going to be. I do. This is going to be the, um, would you like to have a goat, a cow, or a trumpet thromp at the end of your podcast? I'm going to go with a cow. The cow hasn't cow. had much. It's cow not had much. It's not you had might much actually love. be the first one. I, I know I'm not. I've heard, I've heard a few other people. Oh, no, there was cow. another cow. I think it was Preston that had the cow. Because he said well, you liked steak, I think. Yeah. Well, well, I was about, I was about to say, remind that the reason I'm going for the cow is one, because cows are cool. Two, because it reminds me of um, my parents' um, um, sort of Sunday dinners at my parents, <laughs> and it also reminds me of um, 18 hours smoked um, briskets at my friend Chris oh, and Becky's. Making me hungry now. <laughs> yes. So. So yeah, right, I'm, I don't want to go with a cow. You will have a cow. Your cow has been ordered. It shall be arriving very shortly. So thank you so much for coming on, Mel. It's been great. That's quite all right. Chatting to you. I had a great conversation there. Um, yeah, hopefully see you soon. I mean, I'll probably see you at work on uh, one of our Conference video chats at video some point. point. Yes, yeah. So, um, and once I've been through surgery and everything, I'm quite happy to come back on and, and chat to you again. Oh, yeah. I'm, about... I'm, I definitely intend the, to invite people was... back and for a follow-up chat. Yeah, absolutely. Look forward to that. Yep. Yeah. So thanks a lot. I will talk to you soon. All right. Speak to you okay. soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.